Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given throughout the area. Today's show features Father John Tregilio and his talk, The Sacraments, an Overview, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2010. And now, Father John Tregilio. It is a great honor and privilege for me to be here with you this evening, particularly to share with you and meditate with you on these most precious and holy mysteries of our faith that we call the sacraments. One of the greatest insights among many that we have been given by our recent Holy Father, Pope Benedict, is this reaffirmation that our Catholic Christian faith is a religion of what he calls the great both and. In Latin, when you make a comparison between either or or both and, they use a particular phrase if it's either or, it's ought, ought, A-U-T, and then three little dots and another A-U-T. If it's both and, it's E-T, et, and three dots, and E-T. And you see this in classical Latin, but what it does, uh, it sets up a relationship. And Pope Benedict said, when you look through church history, we see most, if not all, the heresies of the church have come about because people have gravitated towards this false dichotomy of making a choice between either or, whereas we look at solid orthodoxy, and I use the word with the small letter O, meaning correct doctrine, the truth is found in both and, not either or. We see this most especially in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is both God and man, human and divine. The ancient Christological heresies focused over one to the detriment of the other. Arius maintained that he was not really God. He was human, the highest of all creatures, but he was not equal to the Father. And so we have in our creed, which thankfully we'll be saying correctly, hopefully next November, consubstantial with the Father. Okay? Homoousios in the Greek. Not what Arius proposed, homoousios, which is similar to, but what the Council of Nicaea solemnly defined, the same substance the Father and the Son. There's no contest between the two of them. You don't have to choose between the Father and the Son. That was Arius' big problem. We don't have to choose over Jesus' divinity, over his humanity. He has both. He's human and divine. He's hypostatically united to one divine person, as the Council of Chalcedon defines. But his humanity and his divinity are true, they're real, they're full. 
He's not 50-50. He's not something from outer space or the sci-fi channel. He's true God and true man. The source of revelation for us is found in both sacred scripture and sacred tradition. It's not a choice between, or you're going to put tradition over the Bible. You don't have to choose. Because the both of them exist together. They come from the same source. It's God revealing himself through sacred scripture and revealing himself in sacred tradition. It's both and, not either or. But through the centuries, whenever we see somebody coming out and telling us, you must choose between these two, many times there's where the problem lies. And we see the same happening in the worship of the church. People making a distinction, well, can't I just go in the woods and pray by myself? Yeah, go ahead. Go in the woods. What if you're urbanite, though? What if you're from Manhattan? You don't want to go in the woods. Right? You're afraid of getting mugged in the woods, right? By smoking a bear or something. So if you're an urbanite, you're going to, you want to go on Fifth Avenue, all right? For some people, they can actually find God in the city. But you don't have to choose. It's not either or. Either I go pray by myself or I go to church. It's both and. We as Christians are challenged to do both. Have a public worship of God. This is what liturgy is about. It is the public worship of God. And we are to cultivate a personal, private piety. When I pray by myself, I must do that too. They're not in competition with each other. Any more than your two lungs are in competition. Or that your lungs are in competition with your heart. You need both. We are composed of body and soul. We are from the two realms of the spiritual and the material. St. Augustine, before he became a Christian, was the most notorious of all playboys. He made Hugh Hefner look like Tinkerbell. He was into every kind of thing you could imagine. He was a hedonist. Pleasure for pleasure's sake alone. He avoided anything that was uncomfortable or inconvenient. Then he had an awakening. A conversion. But not a full one yet to the truth. He went from one extreme to the other because he was still stuck in this mode of either or. So he first starts out by getting as much gusto as you can. The Viking motto, you know. Each drink can be married Tomorrow you might be flat on your face. So he goes from hedonism to this Manichaeanism. And these boys made the Puritans look like MTV, all right? The Manichaeans saw any pleasure whatsoever as sinful. Anything material was evil. Your soul was a prisoner of your body. Therefore, anything that appeased the body was considered evil. So if it was nice, soft material, that was bad. You had to wear sackcloth, itchy stuff. If the food tasted good, that was bad. Had to be bad-tasting food, had to smell bad, look bad. 
We always wonder if that's where the seminary got their ideas from. And of course, they were against marriage and children because that involves something very physical and you propagated more human beings being trapped in bodies. So they were against the family. They were against procreation. And Augustine was into this for a while. Then, by God's grace, he saw it's not a competition between the world and the spirit. God created the material world and he created the immaterial world. God created your soul, and he created your body. Genesis tells us he created the world, and it was good. Even the devil was first created as an angel, who later became mad, who by his own sin cast himself into hell. Adam and Eve were first created good, and then later they freely chose to sin. But God's original design was that there was harmony. Harmony between the two worlds, the spiritual and the material. When sin comes in, it disrupts that harmony. And the ultimate harm is when you make this dichotomy and say that they're opposed to one another. And then you choose sides. Are you going to be of the world or of the spirit? We don't have to choose, my friends. Because of the Incarnation, Jesus shows us both worlds are good. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus took a human nature. He just didn't borrow it, and then when he got done with it, throw it away. That's why Jesus ascended into heaven and took his body with him. Because his body is sacred. It's part of who he is. In his human nature. It's connected, united to the divine person of the Son. Now, if you've ever taught third graders religion class, they're all little theologians, and they ask you, what does Jesus and Mary eat up in heaven if they both have their bodies? You see those little wheels spinning around in there, you know? I said to the kid, what do you think he's eating up there? The kid says, I don't know. I'm not the priest. You are. He said, you're going to be a bishop someday, kid, <laughs> for sure. But it showed a good, a good reasoning. The kid realized that here on earth we have to eat to stay alive. If Jesus and Mary have their bodies in heaven, do they eat? Theologians have speculated for centuries. St. Thomas Aquinas, who was a very, very, very good Dominican and a good eater, speculated that there would be food in heaven at the resurrection of the body, but no carbohydrates, no calories. You don't have to be pricking your finger for blood anymore, okay, if you're diabetic, because the food will have no bad effect on you whatsoever. And the food in heaven only tastes good. It only smells good. Never too hot, never too cold. But if you end up in the other place, forget about it. Bad food for all eternity. It smells, tastes lousy, the wrong temperature. So because we exist as beings who are body and soul, we are of the world in the material sense. We're also of the immaterial world because of our soul. This is the divine wisdom of God. He gives us a bridge between those two realms 
that helps cement what we already have. The holy sacraments connect the two worlds. The holy sacraments have an exterior component to them. The outward sign. Every single one of them has something which appeals to one of the seven senses. This is by divine design. Fishermen would not have come up with this idea. All right? There's no way that they would have come up, hey, hey, let's get something to do so on weekends, you know, we can have, have baptisms and weddings and funerals, you know, make some money on the side. This shows the divine wisdom of God because Jesus, in his divinity, knows what the Father knows. He wills what the Father wills. And God wills that you and I receive all the graces necessary to get to heaven. And because God the Father loves us so much, he will give us exactly what we need. So when someone asks, why are there seven sacraments and not eight? Why aren't there only two? You could be flip and say, well, ask God. He's the one who made them up. In one sense, that's a true statement. There don't have to be seven sacraments. God didn't have to do it this way, but he chose to do it this way. He chose to be born of the Virgin Mary. He chose to be born in a stable in Bethlehem. He chose to spend 30 of his 33 years in obscurity. He chose his 12 apostles. Now, there are reasons why God made all these choices. Some of them we know, some of them we can speculate. It made sense for Jesus to have 12 apostles because there were the 12 tribes of Israel. The seven sacraments, St. Thomas Aquinas proposes, it's not dogma that you must believe this explanation, but he proposes that the seven sacraments coincide with our natural life. Here on earth, there's going to be sort of a mirror image in the supernatural life. Grace builds upon nature. If there's no nature, you can't have supernature. In our human existence, you have to have something to work with. And so we have our physical lives in this material world. And the first thing that happens is we are born in space and in time. A physical event. So it makes sense that you would have a similar event in the spiritual life, the day of your spiritual birth. So does Jesus not say you must be born again of water and the Spirit? And then Nicodemus, all right, comes up with that, that real wonderful byline, what? Do I got to go back in my mother's womb? Now, he's not being coy. He's being honest like the third grader. He can't imagine, how can I be born again? It's like those followers of Jesus, when he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Many left him, remember, in John chapter 6? Many. He didn't say, oh, come back, you misunderstood me. He let him go. 
And then Jesus turned to Peter and says, and what about you? And Peter doesn't stand there and give him a nice treatise on Eucharistic theology. But he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. Peter doesn't understand yet about the real presence, about transubstantiation, but he believes Jesus means what he says. And he keeps his word. So Thomas Aquinas said, look how beautiful we have. We're born in the physical world. We're born again in baptism. And what's the first thing little Johnny or Susie does as a baby? They cry. Why? They need to be fed. We need physical food to stay alive. In the spiritual world, it's no different. Once you are born again of baptism, you need food. Spiritual food. My flesh is real food. My blood, real drink. So Jesus provides us with being born again through baptism, with being fed through the Holy Eucharist. And then what's the next level of our human existence? Besides a baby being fed, what also happens? The baby grows. The baby grows from infancy to toddlerhood to adolescence to adulthood. The baby grows, matures, becomes an adult. In the spiritual world, we have the sacrament of confirmation, which confirms what was begun at baptism, in which the person who, if as an infant they were baptized, someone else said, I reject Satan and all his works and all his empty promises. And now on their confirmation day, the person says, I reject Satan. I believe in God the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. They confirm that faith. They grow. They mature. But also in our human life, as we know, all too soon, we get hurt. We get sick. We need healing. Johnny falls off the bike. Where is he going to go? He's going to run home to mommy who's going to kiss his knee and make it all better. The kids know mom and dad will take them to the doctor so they can get better. Whether it's an injury or illness, they trust that the people who love them will take care of them and help them get better. And so they take them to the doctor. They take them to the hospital. They get medicine and they get better. In the spiritual life, we have the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. Your soul gets sick because of sin. You go to the spiritual doctor, the priest. And that makes a much more better perspective to look at the sacrament than we as Americans for centuries have looked at things too juridically and legalistically. Many people think they're going to confession it's like uh, going to court. I am not Judge Judy, thank God, all right? So when you're in the confessional, you don't have to put on a song and dance that you're trying to impress the jury. There is none, okay? There is no jury. Jesus is the judge. The priest is there to hear your sins and to absolve you in the name of Christ. But he's also there as a spiritual physician, and just like the doctor, when you go into the doctor's office and you finally get into the room and the doctor finally sees you, 
what's the first thing he or she says to you? What's wrong? Hi, Doc, how's it going? Look, there's 45 people waiting out there. This isn't chit-chat time. Tell me, what, are, what hurts? Where? Oh, yeah, it's my leg. It's hurting me real bad. Look at it. It's all kinds of colors, okay? You tell the doctor what's wrong. The doctor looks at you, analyzes the situation, and says, here, here's your medicine. Here's the prescription. Follow this. You go to the confession. You tell the priest your sins. He realizes, ooh, you're... I see a pattern here. You know, if you say, I haven't, been to, I haven't been going to church, I've missed Mass every Sunday for 42 years. We've got to work on that, don't we? That's like someone going to the dentist and says, I haven't brushed my teeth in 42 years. I wouldn't want to be looking in that mouth. One of the great saints said, thank goodness the priests can't see our sins <laughs> as God sees them. It might frighten them too much. But on the, on the other hand, thanks be to God, we have this sacrament. We can go and get them removed. Now what amazes me is how many times people will go, run to the doctor and say, Doc, there's this little tiny thing here on my face. And they'll get a magnifying glass and they'll see a speck on there. You think it's melanoma? No, no, that's just a... a birth markers. Are you sure? Why don't you take it out just to be sure? I don't want, we got cancer in the family. Get rid of it right now. I have a cousin who, as soon as he sees anything that's out of place, he's convinced he's got cancer. And he runs to the doctor. Now, this, is a, this person would never, ever go through life with something growing on the side of his face day by day. Okay? He just, he wouldn't do it. But spiritually, he hasn't been to the sacrament in years. It makes no sense, as Father said in his homily today. It makes no sense. Get your kid baptized and then throw him into a world of sin and figure, oh, they'll stay healthy. Yeah, we have to get shots and inoculations when we're kids. But does that prevent you from getting any disease for the rest of your life? Of course not. You have to stay away from germs. You have to stay away from unhealthy places or behavior. It's the same in the spiritual realm. So go to confession. The spiritual physician may give you some advice. Maybe you need to examine whether or not you've got what we call occasions of sin. People, places, or things which lead you inevitably to sin, you need to cut out. Just like you would go to a doctor and say, take this cyst off. They remove it. Either with a knife, or they freeze it, or whatever, laser beam it. They take it out. In the spiritual life, we have to get sin excised, removed. But guess what? Sin is like a cancer. It wants to come back. So we have to be vigilant. This is why the sacrament gives you grace. It's not just removing of the sin, but it's replacing sin with grace, actual grace, that helps you stay healthy. Just like when the doctor takes out the tumor, don't they sew you back up? I hope to God they do. Otherwise, you're going to walk outside and things are going to fall out. They sew you up, don't they? They put antibiotics on you. They put bandages on you. 
so that the wound heals. But the wound was made primarily to remove the dangerous thing that was in you. So removing the sin is the first priority. But then the healing of that and the, the, the keeping of the good health. So the sacrament is there for us to use again and again. And then as Thomas looked at the other sacraments, the one that we used to call the extra unction, it wasn't called extra unction because you got anointed and they expected you to die the next day. Although that happened a lot. Because medicine wasn't you know, as sophisticated as it is today. It was called the last anointing because in the sequence of events, that was the last anointing you got chronologically. You got anointed in baptism. The priest or deacon anointed you first on, underneath your neck with the oil of catechumens and then under the top of your head with the chrism oil. You got anointed at confirmation. If you were ordained a priest, you were anointed on the hands. And then anointing of the sick was the last anointing. But people, even in the Middle Ages, got better. Not a lot of them, but some did. But that idea of anointing the sick, what was the goal? Yes, we prayed for healing, but of a more profound healing, spiritual healing. Because in the old days, when sickness usually meant death was around the corner, it was a good time for you to prepare for your death, to take stock of your life, to look at all the stuff, the stuff that you shouldn't have been doing all those years, and to make amends, to look at my life and say, I'm ready for that great journey, that journey from this world to the next. And so anointing of the sick, or excremunction, had its primary goal, removal of sin and the preparation for your entrance, your journey, for that particular judgment that takes place at death. But then as medicine got much, much better and more expensive, we realized that people survived. And so it's not that we had to shift the theology, but the perspective is that mo most of the people that Father and I anoint, thanks be to God, we see them the next month, not at the funeral parlor either. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.